All right, City Church, we're going to be in John chapter 15 today. So Sterling read that passage for us earlier. So if you want to go ahead and turn to John chapter 15, that's where we're going to be at today. And so while you're turning there, I, I remind you just this series that we're in, we're calling it Presence. And so it's not a super creative title. It's just about God's presence in our lives and then our presence with others. And we, we the, really the heart behind that in a lot of ways was just to you to not miss this moment. So the moment that we're in where our lives have been very disrupted and our rhythms and routines really changed that we wouldn't miss this moment to reorient our lives around God's presence. And then what that's gonna come, what's going to come from that is our ability to be present with others. So we started by saying that we were, we were made for God's presence. We were designed for relationship with Him. And so we saw that in Psalm chapter 16, verse 11. So our, the fullness of joy is in God's presence. But then we traced it through, uh, just through the whole, all of the scriptures, from Genesis um, all the way through to Revelation. We saw that we were designed for God's presence. And so what's interesting, if you just go back to that creation account, is, is that God stops in the midst of all that and says, as amazing as all this is, as beautiful and wonderful and magical as all this is, um, something here isn't good. <clears throat> and, it, and what's missing is, his, is Adam's um, relationship with another. And so he creates Eve in that moment. And, um, and so what we can see is that our relationship with God is what we're created for, and then that, that necessarily also leans into this relationship with others. So we're made to be in relationship with God and in relationship with others. Our presence with others matters. It matters enough to God to say this isn't even going to be fully right. It's not going to be all that I created it to be until uh, this person has a relationship with another. Presence with others matters. You can, you can trace that in a, a million different ways. W one way is when I was in Guatemala once, <clears throat> we were at an orphanage and, and one of the ladies who was leading the trip that I was on, she walked through the nursery of this orphanage where babies were just crying and crying and crying. And they were well fed. It wasn't that they weren't fed, um, but she would go through and, and she would touch their backs and just put their, her hand on their back and um, just let them know that somebody was present with them. And almost immediately they would stop crying. And so... This is borne out um, scientifically. You can give a baby everything they need physiologically in terms of nutrition and sleep, but without the presence of another, the baby actually will die. So we, we are deeply wired to need relationship. Um, taped to the dashboard of my car is a verse from 1 Peter chapter 3. And it says this, it says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. And so I, I taped that to my dashboard because I just wanted this reminder that um, there's, there's no real health in my relationship with God when I'm not um, showing a, a deep honor to my wife. And so I want to uh, interact, engage with her, this, this relationship that's in a lot of ways preeminent in my life. I want there to be honor and health in that relationship. And God says it matters so much to me that your prayers, your ability to talk to God, engage with Him, is not even going to be, it's going to be hindered where there's unhealth in that relationship. And so I just, I taped it to my dashboard to remind me of that. And over and over again, this idea of our relationships with others mattering deeply to God is, is, is reinforced in the scriptures. Matthew chapter 22, um, somebody who's trying to basically trick Jesus into 
giving a wrong answer about the law, which is not a good idea uh, for somebody who, you know, to ask somebody who wrote the law uh, a question trying to trick them. But he, he asked, what's the most important of the laws? And Jesus says, love God. And then he says, the second most important is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so he puts this second command right up close to this uh, command to love God, to love our neighbors, is like it. It's like this command to love God. And so we can't extract one from another. They, Jesus won't even do it. He says, somebody asks, what's the one command I need to know? He says, I'm going to give you two because it's, it's that important. And so Matthew chapter 7, Jesus uh, gives what's called the golden rule. And people all over the world in a lot of different contexts would cite this golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, as you wish that they would do to you. Um, I, I think, however, this is just not my reality a lot of times. And in my brain, I actually, I think, consider this golden rule to be more like do unto others as they have done unto you. I think that's actually so much of my flesh, my, my heart, the parts of my heart that don't want to believe in God or trust Him or follow Him. They would say, do unto others as they have done to you. That's actually the rule of the, the that's, that's how the world operates in so many ways. To do something other than what somebody has done to you is extremely countercultural. And so there's a key for us today in, in, in our ability to actually live that out, for this to be your reality, to do unto others as you would have them do unto you, not as they have done to you. Uh, there's a key to this, and I think we're going to see that in John chapter 15 today. We're going to see how our presence with God transforms our presence with others. A relationship with God and presence with Him transforms our relationship with others and our presence with others. And so if you go, go ahead, we're just going to start reading through this, uh, this passage, and we're going to read and talk a little bit. Um, so I am the true, this is starting in verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Okay, so you can see right away that Jesus is, one, he's making a statement. He says, I am the true vine. And so we may not even pick up on the magnitude of this statement, but it's one of the seven I am statements that Jesus makes in the book of John. And so he says, I am, which is really a language that's declaring his divinity. And, and he says, I'm the true vine. And what he's saying is in contrast to what is the vine that's mentioned throughout the Old Testament where Israel is talked about as the vine. And he says, I'm the true vine. And my Father is the vine dresser. And so if you want to be connected to the Father, connected to God, it's going to be through Jesus, the true vine. It's not about being a Jew. It's not about all these other things. It's about being connected to Jesus. And then he, he makes it clear that the goal of our connection, what he wants for you and for me, is for us to bear fruit. So he wants for us to bear fruit. Um, but he mentioned something uh, here that, that is a little bit alarming almost, so, so you should lean into this. He says, every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And so that, that's, that, that's one of the alarming things he says. And so there's a way in which um, we can be maybe connected or around Jesus. And I think specifically in our context, this, is, this would be really possible for you to uh, outwardly or in some superficial way claim the name of Jesus or try to attach Jesus to your life, right? 
So you're trying to attach the branch or the vine to the branch in this superficial way, and it's not going to bear fruit. It's not going to actually uh, do what it's meant to do. That connection is not going to have the effect that Jesus intends for it to have. And so that's, that's, that's an alarming thing, right? Um, the, every, every branch of me that does not bear fruit, the vine dresser is going to take away. And just trying to wrap my mind around what it even means to be um, maybe connected or tied to Jesus in a way that doesn't bear fruit. And, and I, I watched this documentary this last week about, it was kind of just a random documentary I came across, uh, but it looked interesting. And, and uh, it was about a, the maple syrup heist that occurred in Canada. And, um, and it was actually a heist. It was like a, this theft of maple syrup that was in the tens of millions of dollars. And... Um, I love maple syrup, and apparently everybody else does too, and so they charge a ton of money for it. So when you steal it, it's worth a lot. Um, but syrup, this maple syrup actually is the sap from maple trees, and so it's this sort of lifeblood. It's not exact, you have to do some stuff to it to actually make it become maple syrup, but not that much. It's pretty close to it as it is. Running through the, the, the veins, as it were, of these trees is this sap. And so that's, that's what I would think of as this vital connection with Jesus. We're connected to him in such a way where the sap is flowing through the vine into the branches, and that sap is actually going to bear fruit on the branch. and just going to keep it alive. And so that's what we should think of when we think of being connected with Jesus, is connected with him in this vital way that can bring about change or transformation in us. And so how do we know that we're not actually connected with Jesus in this vital way? And in a way that later on Jesus says is wherever there's branches that are not bearing fruit, where, there, where there's a branch that's not actually abiding in him, connected to him in a vital way, it's going to be thrown out. And, and that's the, the, he's talking about eternal consequences. This is an eternal consequence to our uh, lives that are disconnected from Jesus because we're, not una we're unable to bear fruit. Fruit, And so the question that that leads me to is, what is the fruit then, right? Is it just things that I'm doing that you can evidence in my life? You know, uh, there, there, there's a way in which we can go through motions that's not an evidence of anything going on inside of us. Um, but then there is action or evidence in our lives that is being born out of us, out of a transformed Life And so what you should think of when it comes to this fruit, I think you can see parallels to it in Galatians chapter 5 where Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And it's not fruits of the Spirit, okay? So every time I see a fruits of the Spirit kind of like coffee cup or, you know, poster or something, and it's like fruits of the Spirit, and it has all these different fruit. Lemons are joy, and, you know, strawberries are love, or whatever, you know, whatever, however they pick out which fruit goes with which. Um, but what, what, what's funny is that it's not, it's not fruits of the Spirit. It's just the fruit of the Spirit, the singular thing. That all, all, the, those are different things, but they're happening in a singular way. It's a singular fruit that's born in the life of a believer where this love and joy and peace and patience and all these things, they actually go together. They're, they go hand in hand, and you can't pull one out and say, well, I'm really good at peace, but I'm not very good at love. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. And so what you actually see later on in this passage is that some of the fruit that I think is being born in the lives of Jesus' disciples are love and joy that he's going to talk about at the end of this passage. But, but love and joy aren't things that you just kind of like white-knuckle, and it's like, today I'm going to love 
I'm going to love hard today. I'm going to be joyful. These things are being produced in us. They're organic, in a sense, uh, being produced by the Spirit, the sap that's flowing through the vine into the branch. It's this character change, not external behavior change, but a character change that produces changes in our actions, our thoughts, attitudes, and actions towards others. And so our connection to Jesus, when it's real, when it's vital, it will produce fruit. Jesus says that. He, he's, he doesn't leave it open to uh, wonder if it's going to happen. There's no such thing as a non-fruit-bearing disciple of Jesus. He says, if anyone abides in me, uh, you're going to bear fruit. He it is that bears much fruit. Okay? And so there's something interesting also, almost something alarming here in verse 2 as well, where he says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. So fruit is the goal. Um, but every branch that does bear fruit is pruned by the vine dresser. He prunes that it may bear more fruit. And so again, our goal is fruitfulness as disciples of Jesus. And, uh, and, and the vine dresser, the Father, is working to maximize that fruitfulness in our lives. Now, this is going to really come into conflict with what our flesh, what you naturally would want. The parts of you that want to run away from God are not going to enjoy this, okay? Um, but there are there is this activity of pruning that happens. And I, I heard it described by Joni Erickson Tata, a woman who endured a, a, a lifetime of suffering, honestly. Um, she talked about this sort of work of the Father to bring about fruit in our lives, even through what she experienced as a pruning process. And she says this, I'm a big believer that God permits what He hates to accomplish things that He loves. And that's been my mantra for almost 53 years in this wheelchair. And I just thought that was powerful. I thought that was powerful that she could say that five decades sitting in a wheelchair. What she knows, the way that the vine dresser has worked on her is actually maximizing fruit. You see, um, what's interesting is both branches, the one who uh, bears no fruit, it gets the blade. The one who's bearing fruit, it gets the blade. But what's happening for the fruit-bearing branches, the ones that are vitally connected, not just to God in an ethereal way, but <clears throat> connected to Jesus. So Jesus is going to say, yes, you're made for presence with God. I am Emmanuel, God with us. Your connection, your presence with me is what is going to cause you to bear fruit in your life. And you're going to get a blade somehow in your life. There's going to be a cut, a prune that's made for both branches but what happens for the branch that's vitally connected into Jesus in the midst of what could be a pruning season, a painful moment, what it causes, actually what pruning causes is for that branch to draw on the sap from the vine even more. Do you see that? In the midst of Joni Erickson Tata's life, she's, she's being pruned and what it's causing her to do is actually draw more and more on the vine himself. And so our goal is fruitfulness. There's change, transformation that 
is going to happen in the life of a believer. And when that's slowed down or when that fruit's not coming about and we are vitally connected with Jesus. So you should ask yourself that, am I vitally connected to Jesus right now? Not was I once upon a time, but today am I drawing on the sap of the vine um, for my life, that connection. And then when that's happening, there's going to be cuts and prunes in our lives, not because God hates us, but because he loves us. And so he's making you who you were made to be. In the crucial activity for you that Jesus lays out, what are we to do? How are we actually to live this life? He gives us one thing to do. Just abide in him. Abide in me. Abide in me. Remain in his presence like a branch stays connected to a vine. And I was thinking about this week, and you just don't see vines kind of like, or branches, you know, leaving the vine for a period of time and saying, you know, I'll, I'll kind of circle back with you maybe next week, next month, next chapter of my life. Maybe whenever I get things back together, I'm going to actually come and be connected to the vine. Those branches don't live, they die when they're disconnected. It is a constant remaining in his presence that Jesus is calling us to. It's not a once in a while thing. It's not a kind of check-in, check-up moment. It's an ongoing remaining in his presence. And so last week we talked about insisting on God's presence above everything else. And that's what you're gonna have to do. You're gonna have to insist on his presence in order to remain in his presence. And so Jesus gives us two things in particular that we're supposed to abide and remain and hold on tightly to. The first is his word. And so he says, abide in my word. Okay. And so what he's telling you is there's in all the things that we have learned, Jesus has taught us through his life and death and resurrection, all the things that he's taught us by what he's taught and commanded, like we're supposed to, in his words, be abiding in him. Okay. And so we're taking his words into our minds, into our hearts, into our lives and letting those sit in us. Okay. So it's less about, did you read your Bible? More about, have you let your Bible read you? And then the second thing is his love. And so letting his Uh, abiding in his love he says abide in my love remain in my love i don't want you to get outside of my love and and then he kind of brings about this relationship between obedience and love and so i think it's worth just leaning into he says um as the father has loved me so have i loved you abide in my love. So I don't know if there's a greater love that you can kind of think of as the Father has loved the Son eternally, perfectly, so have I loved you. That's the kind of love that God has for you. It's a divine love that's fixated on you. So abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Now, that's a really interesting sentence. I think that we really can get it distorted and get it mixed up where we can think, well, for me to be loved by God, I need to do the things He commands. But in in reality, I think we know what this is like, that there is a relationship between experiencing somebody's love and obeying their authority. And so if God is our authority, like, like I'm a, the authority over my daughter, and so when she disobeys something that I tell her will lead to life, There is an interruption in relationship necessarily. And she knows that. Whenever she disobeys me, she sometimes knows that. But you can see where there's interruption in relationship. And it's not just because I'm trying to be some kind of a dictator and it's like, you you obey me or else. But, But there is a relationship between obedience and love and our ability to walk 
in God's love, abide in Jesus's love for us in the midst of our disobedience, that, that's honestly like spiritual, spiritual insanity. And it's spiritual insanity for me to even make this statement that, yes, I love Jesus and I worship him, but I don't really listen to the things he says. I don't care what he's telling me to do. That is not a reflection of a heart that actually loves Jesus. And so Jesus was going to say, where there's disobedience to my commands, you need to be aware and check yourself. Are you actually walking, abiding in my love? And the answer is going to be no on that. But he doesn't say, hey, there's no space for you, no room for you. He says, come back into my love and learn to walk in obedience to me. And so he, he's going to go on to tell us that the result of abiding is obedience to his commands. And his command, what he says, do you see what he tells you his command is? It's actually to love one another. John 15, verse 12 says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And so this is where our presence now with God a presence with Jesus, abiding in Him, is going, to, is going to lead us to obey His commands. And what does His command want us to do? Love one another. But what's fascinating to me about that verse is this. Built into the command is a remembrance of God's love for you. This is my command, that you love one another as I have loved you. This is the key to the golden rule. The ability to actually live this out necessitates being uh, in this place of remembering God's love for you. You're not going to actually love one another. Um, you're not actually going to do unto them as you'd have them do unto you unless somebody else has come into the equation and done to you what you did not deserve. You, you were loved, you were shown grace, you were shown mercy. The way that Jesus has loved us, that is the way that we are meant to love one another. And so, uh, just, just real quickly on this, I think the way that I was thinking about this week that uh, was helpful for me um, was, well, it started with seeded grapes. I don't know why stores would even sell seeded grapes, grapes with seeds in them. You, most of the time you walk around, it's like, oh, seedless grapes, seedless grapes. They're all seedless, and the reason why is because nobody likes eating seed, seeded grapes. If you do, um, I would love to hear why. Unless you're just like, hey, I'm bored, and I want something to do with my food. I want an extra, I want an extra step in order to be able to eat this grape. You know, So I'm going to bite into it, get all the seeds out, then finish eating it. But they're very small. It's like... I guess it's like a sunflower seed. I don't know what the, what the logic is, but we ordered seedless grapes and they gave, it, gave us seeded grapes. And so I've spent this last week eating grapes with seeds in them. And uh, I was you know, kind of frustrated about it, but then I found it really interesting that um, I think that the idea of seedless grapes, um, like that that's this idea that's present somehow in the church today, that there could be grapes, that there could be fruit in your life that doesn't actually have a seed of love in it towards another. So that's what a seed does. So it's a, it's a reproducing element. And so our ability to even bear fruit that reproduces into another. And so that's the idea that we could experience God's love and actually produce this fruit that isn't going to then be able to be passed on to another is a, is a, it's a fallacy that exists inside our church. And so Seedless grapes are a genetic mutation, and that's not actually what the Father is growing, the kind of fruit that He wants to create. Incidentally, I was just talking to a wine expert, and uh, like literally right before I filmed this, 
and um, they were talking about how the you would never have seedless grapes in the best wines. The best wines actually are produced by seeded grapes, and, uh, and those are not the kinds that they sell in stores. And, and those seeded grapes have experienced a lot of, um, the, the best wines are created by seeded grapes that have experienced a lot of duress, uh, and so they have high character. It's just a fascinating reality to the best of wines. And so um, uh, the, what I want to see here is why, or what is it actually, what are some of the things our failure to abide in Jesus and how that's failing to make its way into the lives of one another. Um, so if you just look at your neighbors, love God and love your neighbor, your closest neighbors are your family. And so uh, what I want to kind of just by way of application, talk about what's killing your presence with family and how is uh, God's love for you going to transform those things. And I think two things primarily, um, or just there's a lot of things that would kill our presence with others, our presence with our family or our roommates, um, but I think t- technology and conflict. So technology and conflict are two very, very much like on the surface things that would kill presence with others. And so if our presence with God is going to transform our presence with others, how does God's love and our abiding in Jesus actually impact our technology use and conflict? And so just if, if you don't believe me, this is a stat uh, from Tony Ranke. He says, we check our smartphones about 81,500 times each year. And once every, so, so that's once every 4.3 minutes of our waking lives. So every 4.3 minutes, you're checking your phone 81,000 times a year. I heard, I heard it said this way, that children born in 2007, when the iPhone was created, um, they have now for uh, more than a decade been competing for their parents' attention primarily from their smartphones. And I think that uh, we can say, oh, this is a new problem, this, this, this distraction that we're experiencing from technology, but it's actually, um, I heard it said this way, the human appetite for distraction is high in every age because distractions give us an easy escape from the silence and solitude whereby we become acquainted with our uh, finitude, our our being finite beings, our inescapable mortality and distance of God from all of our desires, hopes, and pleasures. And so distraction, it gives us an escape from the silence and from the solitude, from this the realities that who we are on the inside is actually really distant from God sometimes. And so um, I think God's love actually, when it's working into our lives, is going to change the way that we use technology. It needs to change the way that we use our phones, the way we interact with technology, um, so that we can be present with one another. It's not just as simple as put down your phone so that you can see your kids. It, in some ways it is that simple, but you have to do the hard work behind it to know why are you going back to your phone or your computer or your, whatever it is that you're going back to your TV screen. What are you running from presence of others to hide, to hide in? Because I actually think that as God's presence makes its way into our lives, we're going to love one another uh, in the way that Jesus has loved us, and that's being present with one another. And so technology is killing that. Why are you going back to it again and again? It's calling to you. And so this mantra that I'm trying to think of these days is just to use my phone and not be used by it. Use my phone, not be used by it. And so every time I sense that my phone's calling to me and my heart's actually hiding there, I'm trying to put it somewhere further away, turn it off for an hour a day. That's what we're going to talk about next week is some very simple applications for how we can do some of this stuff, how we can actually pursue God's presence 
and uh, our presence with God and presence with others. We're going to get get into some of the weeds on that next week, but um, particularly technology is destroying our presence with others. And I think God's love can make its way into your life and transform that because whatever reason you're going to your technology, your device, or your computer, I think it's actually there's another relationship. Social media on the other side of that. There's work on the other side of that. There's something else on the other side of it that you're actually hiding in entertainment, comfort, approval, all these things are where we go back to time and time again. And so the other thing that is destroying our presence with others that I think God's love can come in and transform is our conflict with others. And this is where, this is where the rubber really meets the road if you're going to actually live out God's command to do unto others as you would have them do unto you, not as they have done to you. If we're going to listen to Jesus' command, if we're going to be in his presence in such a way that fruit's going to be born in our lives, that fruit is going to be loving one another in the way that Jesus has loved us. So we have to dwell in his love for us, and then we're going to love one another the way that he has loved us. And so how is that? Over and over again in the scriptures, we see Jesus giving this example about how it looks to have uh, to, to resolve conflict with others, and it starts with realizing the conflict that God has resolved between you and Him. There was a conflict between you and God. Sin created a distance between you and Him, and so Jesus took the cost upon Himself and, and came to you and made a way for relationship. And so I don't know if it might be that there's been abuse in that relationship, and so I'm not advocating for you like where there's been thing, you know, laws that have been broken or um, where police need to be called. Like That's not what we're talking about. But that's not most of the conflicts that we're talking about. Most of the conflicts are actually like icebergs. You know, it's a little bitty piece of ice sticking above uh, the water and then a huge issue down below. And so we let those conflicts, these low-grade issues, destroy presence with each other and it's robbing us of the joy that God wants for us in our lives. And so when we, when we steep in, remain in, dwell in God's love for us, in Jesus' presence with us, that's going to transform the way that we conflict with one another. And so we want to give you some practical handholds on that. There's some, hopefully we can have on our resource page soon, some ways that you can conflict well. But... Um, it's going to start with recognizing what God has done for you, his love for you. Is it then going to be the engine for reconciliation in those conflicts with others, the people who are most present around you? And so my, my encouragement for you this week is to remain in Jesus' presence, um, which is like kind of a high level, like what does that even mean? Um, I think it is a matter of our habits. Um, we're going to give you some practical handles on that next week, but, what, but the, these habits um, are what... Charles Spurgeon calls a sacred violence and a holy diligence to fight to be in God's presence, to fight to remain in Jesus's presence. And so is it a time of day that you seem to be not actually abiding in Jesus? Like is it maybe, you know, 9 p.m. hits and you stop abiding in Jesus, you stop talking to him, which he talks about in this passage. He says, uh, we talk, it's about prayer, um, so talking with God. Or is there a time that you just stop doing that? Is it a time of day that you just stop doing it? Is it a location? Well, when I'm in my office or when I'm in, um, you know, this part of my house or when I'm 
uh, in this certain location? Or is it a relationship? I'm not really abiding in Jesus in the way that I interact with my kids or with my neighbors. I'm not actually listening to his commands for me and then obeying them in the context of these relationships. That's what he means by abiding in him, listening to him and obeying him because you know that he loves you. And so why in this time of day or in this uh, location or in this relationship, why are you not remaining in Jesus' presence? Why are you hiding from his presence or rejecting his presence? I, said, I, would, I would encourage you to actually dig around in that because I think deep down what you're afraid of is that Jesus is going to take something from you that you love. That somehow when you obey him, He's going to take something from you that you maybe maybe the way you're interacting with your neighbor is because you don't want to be made uncomfortable, or the way that you are interacting with your kids is because you don't want to lose control, or the way you're interacting with your coworkers is because you don't want to lose power. Look again then, if you're afraid Jesus is going to take something from you, look again what he says in John 15, 11. In this passage, he says, these things I have spoken to you. Listen to me. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He's not trying to rip you off. He's trying to get his joy that he has, the eternal son of God, the creator of all things, the one who, through whom and for whom all things were made, the one who's at the centerpiece of all of God's creation, his plan to unite all things in him, the one with a bottomless well of joy. He wants to put his joy in you. Your little Dixie cup of joy, I heard it said this way this week, your little Dixie cup of joy sinking in the ocean of God's, God's joy, that your joy may be full. Trust him. He's not trying to rip you off. Listen and obey in all of these contexts. Remain in his presence. Just to close this out, he says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone may lay down, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And that's exactly what Jesus has done for us. You're not going to out-love him. You're not going to love him more than he's going to love you all of your relationships, all of your ability to be present with others is going to hinge on your presence with God and abiding in Jesus and abiding in his love and abiding in his word so that then you can be present and love one another the same way that you have been loved. Let me pray for you, church. Actually, would you pray with me? Lean into this and I'm gonna just invite you to pray through a few things right here. Where, where is God pruning you right now or where is he exposing fruitlessness in your life that you need to not run from him but run to him, that you need to cling tighter to the vine? Where is there, what relationship, what time of day, what uh, location, what, where, where is it that you're failing to abide in his presence and where is the spirit convicting you of that? Where are you now not believing in his love for you? Where are you not seeing that he has laid down his life for you? 
and not really abiding and believing in God's love for you? Is there um, some something that's weighing on you or um, some habit in your life that's actually revealing that you don't believe God really loves you, that you need to do it on your own, that you need to make it happen on your own, that you've got to do it for yourself because God's not going to look out for you? And then maybe, last thing, where is technology or conflict interrupting your presence with others? And how, how does God's word uh, speak into those things? How can it transform the way you use technology and respond to conflict? How, how are those two things going to be transformed by God this week? Father, we love you. Would you love this first? Would you help us to remember that? Would you help my friends and my own heart to abide in you this week? Jesus, would we not, would we, would we have a, um, a sacred, uh, a, this sacred violence towards anything that's going to take us away from your presence and keep us from remaining in you, Jesus? We want to hold tightly to you. Would you help us this week do that by the power of your Holy Spirit? Would you help us to abide in this fruit-bearing way? Would you help all of these branches, even where you prune them, to have confidence that you love us and that you want fruit for us? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.